Welcome, everybody, to the Pergamatic Digest podcast. I am your host, Ellen Parker, and today we have a special guest. I'm super excited. My name is Kathleen Booth. She is now the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Tradeswell. But before I get too much into the details, Kathleen, welcome. Welcome to the Pergamatic Digest podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. And I'm so honored and and humbled and flattered that you invited me to be on your show. This is so exciting. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm fangirling here because I've been listening to your podcast, your old, uh, when you were hosting your old podcast before. And so in today's conversation, we're going to talk about your journey because you're, I think you're badass. (laughs) No one else can talk about our own identity, who we are better than our own selves. So how about you just give us like a good introduction about who you are, what you do now and how you got to where you are. Sure. I have kind of a a strange career journey, I'll be honest. Um, I started out for 10 years working in international development consulting, and I was traveling all over the world, mostly to the developing world, uh, working on um, how you introduce private management to water and wastewater systems, which has nothing to do with what I do today. But partway, I I had done an MBA in marketing, and partway through my career, I, well, and I should say, and I also did a master's in international politics, which is why I was doing that work. But partway through my career, I was seeing these projects fall apart because of poor communication. And so I started to refocus my work on how do you get in at the early stage and uh, communicate about these big public sector reform projects so that they don't get derailed partway through because of this communication issue. And that eventually led me to, to getting into marketing, which is really what I, what I do. Um, And it led me there because I, met my husband. I wanted to have kids and I couldn't do that and do the job I had been doing in international development because it required so much travel. Um, you know, I couldn't have a baby and and leave a baby with my husband for weeks or months on end. So I had a little bit of a midlife career crisis and I switched gears and he and I started a marketing agency, which we owned for 11 years. Um, and then we sold that in 2017. And since then, I've been working in-house as head of marketing for a variety of different companies. Um, you heard the podcast I hosted when I was at Clean.io, which was yeah. AdOps All-Stars. Now I'm at uh, Tradeswell. Oh, nice, nice, nice. So I'm going to borrow something you did on your podcast, which is uh, which is this question, basically. Uh, how would you define those two things, right? Programmatic advertising in your own words. Like if you had to tell my 10-year-old needs, programmatic advertising, how would you define that? And then let's go and talk about ad-offs, like what that meant. Yeah. So it's funny. I did ask that question to everybody. I'm going to start asking it because it's genius. You know, everybody, I'm always coming across people that ask about what you do, what is programmatic? And I'm always explaining. And sometimes I can get the point straight across and sometimes I still get the. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think the simplest way. So if we're talking about a 10 year old and we have to explain programmatic, um, I think I would, and I've learned a lot from hearing other people define this. So I would start by saying, you know, all those advertisements you see on the internet, right? Well, those are the things that allow you to use the internet for free. And programmatic is sort of like, um, like, eBay, right? It's like a website where sellers and buyers come together and and what they're selling and buying is ads. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a simple way of 
placing your ad and having it go out to all the different websites and helping pay for your free use of the internet. <laughs> wow. That's very good. That's good. That's good. I think I'm I don't think it's the best I've heard. I've had a few people who described it really well, but I, I'm getting there. I'm polishing my, uh, my delivery. Me too. <laughs> Me too. You know, I've been working in the industry for eight years, but I still come across, like I said, those people that are like, oh, I still don't get it. And so I usually get them when I explain, well, it's advertising outside of Facebook and Google. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, I think I know. And then they'll walk away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Google, it's Facebook, got it. That's easy enough. And so what is ad opsing for those on the on the podcast or watching YouTube right now? How how can we explain to them one, what ad opsing is and why it's so important? And in my opinion, a little bit underrated, like people don't know enough of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, ad ops is, it's that thing that like, we, I always talked about this on the show. Nobody yeah. goes to college for it, right? Like there is a degree. Yeah. So it's fascinating how people wind up in this role. And I always thought of, I, I never worked in ad ops in that sense. Like I was never in an ad ops role. So I too struggled to understand it from the outside. And what I've really come to learn is that ad ops is like being, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, when you have the man behind the curtain, yeah. ad ops is like that. When you're in ad ops, you're the, the man or the woman behind the curtain who makes everything that looks like it runs smoothly and automatically run well. Um, and it's all the details. And I think the thing that I heard over and over when I interviewed people was I always asked, like, what is, if you were hiring somebody to work in ad ops, what traits do they need to have? And what people always said over and over was they need to be somebody who wants to understand how things work, Yeah, figure it out. And that's why that man behind the curtain analogy, I think works so well because like, yeah. that's literally the person who's making everything work. Yeah. And I think if we borrow, I think it's a term that maybe I would say started on the publisher side, but then on the buying side, which is because my uh, experience is on the buy side, we've borrowed this this job title, this term like ad opsing when referring to ad trafficking and ad server, which is also the same thing on publisher. But as I'm doing my research and talking to people and working with clients, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's totally different. Like an ad ops in pub and publisher on the publisher side does different thing than the ad ops on the buy side. Would you say that? Yeah, I mean it is different, but it's all they're all different parts of the same ecosystem, right? And all of these parts are needed to make that ecosystem work. And so they're they're just different types of operations, but you know, it is it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of attention to detail. Um, you know, it's a lot of making sure that you're constantly watching because if one little piece in the bigger system breaks or isn't working correctly or isn't optimized properly, there's a domino effect, right? And so it's it's amazing to me, people who work in ad ops, because there's just, there's so much to wrangle and get right. And that I imagine can be very stressful. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember holding position and roles where I was a media buyer, but trafficking, like I said, was part of our day-to-day and uh, it's very detail-oriented. <laughs> It's very meticulous. It's very repetitive sometimes, um, but it's so important and so needed, obviously. So, um, so let's get into let's get into this episode's conversation. So, you your experience uh, is definitely marketing, marketing badass, marketing unicorn. And um, the last few years, you worked working for Clean, which is very programmatic, publisher related. But I really wanted to talk to you because I admire your journey and I admire the content that you have on LinkedIn. And I think that as women, we don't do a great job of uplifting 
ourselves. And so when I reached out to you, you had just started and you still said, you know, I'm not into not in the industry anymore, but I'm happy to jump on. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so dope. So talk to me about maybe three things you want. And this is March, right? We're recording this in March and it's uh, Women's Month. So I want to uplift other women in the industry, whether it's in the marketing industry, whether it's a programmatic industry, ultimately the industry we are in right now and we work in is maybe temporary, um, it does not define our identity. It's probably part of who we are in the moment, but it's actually not. So talk to us about maybe challenges that you had to face as a woman in the industry, but also I really want to highlight like not only overcoming it, but what somebody listening can take from it. And if you're a man listening, definitely listen too, because you don't want to be part, you want to be part of a movement that support and uplift women too. So just don't think that, oh, let me turn this off. This is for women. No, 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 no. Please listen. Please share. <laughs> Please really learn from, from our, our, our journey because this is why we have this whole month, right? So what are some of the things you're like, you know, when I was working in this or part of my journey, the most surprising thing was going through this. And this is what it taught me. Now let's take a quick break to hear more about our sponsors. Our sponsor, WorkReduce, is the secret weapon used by the market's top agencies and brands. Their specialist talent and media services help brands and agencies grow and scale faster. One of the fastest growing services offered by WorkReduce is their service desk. It provides flexible, on-demand media buying, ad operation, and analytics support. Many of the world's biggest brand and agencies use WorkReduce in time zone service desk as an extension of their in-house media team. With an easily deployable operation playbook, process automation, and a high quality reputation, their service desks will provide the expertise and precision to take your digital operation to the next level in 2022. Covering ad trafficking, campaign setup, QA, optimization, and campaign analytics, your internal resource focus on the activities that count the most while WorkReduce Service Desk takes care of the rest. Check out WorkReduce.com for more information on their ad operations service desk and tell them Ellen sent you. Now back to the episode. Yeah, so I think the first thing I would say is... Mm -hmm. Is I'll tell you a little story, which is that I um, I am an introvert, which many people find oh. surprising. <laughs> yep, I'm a big introvert, and I was really really shy growing up, and um, and I actually joined the theater group in school. And it was scary for me, but it was a real game changer because it taught me how to get out in in front of an audience and be on stage and overcome that fear. And it was very empowering. And that really came into play when I was working in international development, actually, because I was pretty young when I started in that field. I was in my 20s and I was traveling to the developing world, working on these projects. And in many parts of the developing world, um, there's a real, uh, I don't want to say stigma, but there's a real bias against particularly young women, young women who are single, traveling, like they're just, it's cultural. It's, it's, it, it, there's, there's this sense that to be a seasoned professional, you need to be an older man with gray hair. Right. Yeah. And so 
<laughs> I would very often be on these trips, business trips by myself, going in to meet with the old men with gray hair. Yeah. And I'd be the one telling them, you know, how they should do yeah. things and, and giving them advice. And, and what I've come to realize about that experience was what made me successful because I got a lot of questions over the years of like, well, how did you do that? Did you run into a lot of prejudice? And I honestly didn't. And I think the reason that I didn't is that my acting experience taught me that even if I didn't feel really confident, I needed to project confidence. And it was kind of that fake it until you make it thing where yeah, I realized that, about that it's good. Yeah. It's good. Like you need to walk into a room and you need to project yeah. I am an expert in this thing. And it doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers to everything because that's false confidence, right? Like it just means you have to be confident enough to say, no, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get it for you. But if, you know, if you, if you don't project confidence, if you project uncertainty, people pick up on that and that is what they will perceive in you. And so I think that's, that can be hard for women because very often, and this leads me to my second thing, which is, the con- the topic of imposter syndrome. Mm. Every single woman I've ever met yeah, <laughs> has yeah. imposter this, syndrome. This is, this is real. Um, this is yeah. This is and real. a lot of men have it too. And, you know, it's, I think we just need to accept that we all have it, right? It's a fact of life for so many of us. And, and I look at it and I say, okay, I have it. It's not going away. How can I channel it into something productive? And for me, it's, I channel it into being as prepared as I possibly can be for conversations, for jobs, for meetings, you know, and so it's being prepared, it's coming in and, and being able to project confidence. Like those two things go a really, really, really long way. Um, And then, you know, third challenge I would say is honestly overcoming my own weaknesses and my own. That's dope my own challenges. Like I've taken a lot of those personality assessment tests over the years, like disc profile and things along with strengths finders. And I, I'm very self-aware that I have certain strengths. Like, um, I tend to like to be in leadership positions and I'm good at delegating and coordinating, but, but I also am the type of person who sometimes can, like make decisions too quickly and maybe has a hard time listening inherently because I'm so action oriented. And so I think the third challenge is really all about really digging into yourself and taking an honest look at what your strengths are and perhaps more importantly, what your weaknesses are and, and being willing to work on those things and being honest about them. Um, Recognizing that you're a work in progress. Like I'm not perfect. I, you know, I still have a long way to go, but but I think you have to be willing to be vulnerable and understand your own weaknesses in order to grow and get better over time. Wow. Um, quite a few to unpack because I feel like you're preaching to a choir and this conversation is no coincidence to me, like in my journey in this moment. Um, I think imposter syndrome is really real. And um, I am the opposite. I'm an extrovert. And I portray that I've come across very confident. But even if right now you're like me or you're like Kathleen, like if you're, I know I'm, I'm extrovert, but sometimes I like to stay home all day and not do anything, you know, and be <laughs> away, from, away from people. And that's okay too. Right. Um, I discovered that there's a different level of imposter syndrome and it's okay to admit it out loud. 
I didn't think that, you know, admitting it out loud was, you know, it's seen as a weakness. And as women, we judge harder than everybody else. And so I think it's, well, as women, and I would say non-binary folks as well, but that's great. So I'm trying to ask seven, five, 75 questions, but I'm going to recap it into one, I promise. Um, <laughs> so part of what I'm hearing is that you really did a self-assessment. You really looked into what's happening into your life. You identified, you identified your strength and then you recognize your weakness and you work towards your weakness. Um, first of all, before we go to the next question, like what is your disc? Let me guess, let me guess. Is ah. this a high C, high I? No? Nope. I give up. High, very high D. Uh-huh. Okay. Very high D with then like my second one is a C. I have almost no INS. Oh my God. <laughs> I have very high I, like 99.999%. And then I have some Ds and then almost non-existent CNS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. Like, um, you know, the listening to you talk about this, it, what sprung to my mind is I, I do know that I'm, I'm fairly outspoken. Like I'm, I have, I like to say I have strong opinions loosely held, meaning like I don't mind being challenged and I'm yeah. willing to change like my mind, but uh-huh. I'm an outspoken person with strong opinions for sure. Uh-huh. And the the thing that I've learned, and this goes back to your question about being a woman, is that you should look to surround yourself with people who are not afraid or intimidated or put off by the fact that you have strong opinions. And this extends from the people that you work with and for, but also like the people that are in your life. Like my husband, it was not all men want to be married to a woman who is, is opinionated and outspoken. And, and I think finding finding people in your life, whether they are professional or personal people that you surround yourself with, who will allow you to be you is so, so, so important. Oh my gosh. That is so, and that's one of the things I preach on the podcast. Like you have to remain authentic. Um, the, the main reason why, so my experience on the buy side, working for ad agencies, a handful of brands. And so my whole career, which is eight years plus, I've been the only black girl or one of the only black girls or, Nobody else was an immigrant. So I moved here from Senegal. And so my, I have an accent, you know, my first language is French. And so I was literally code switching for eight years, trying to become something that was not respective of my own self and my own value. And so, and that's where I think now the current imposter syndrome comes into play, like all this trauma that I went through. And of course, I love, I love programmatic media. I love ad agency world, but ultimately there are some things that we are not proud of admitting out loud, like literally the only one sometimes in one of the agencies that I work with. And so, um, it's, it's really hard to be fully yourself when you're constantly being told you're too passionate for this project or uh, the clients will like somebody more conservative. It's like what the white guy or Chad is he more conservative <laughs> than me? Cause you're pretty sure he's not, but yeah, cool. Um, and then constantly being passed over by uh, from a promotion that I literally worked hard, deserved already acting as if for somebody else that obviously you would, you would guess who. So um, 
So with that being said, two, three years ago, going on three, I decided like, okay, not, I'm not going to work for anybody else. I'm going to build a consulting agency, which is what I'm doing now. And got fired from my last job. <laughs> but I walked out of that job with so much peace in my heart because I never knew, I was never that sure of what I wanted to be and, and do. And so now I, I offer consulting and I just launched this course. This is where I'm getting with that. I just launched this course. Uh, it's called the Reach and Frequency course. It's basically teaching everybody that has zero experience in marketing and advertising how to land a dream job in programmatic media, programmatic advertising. And so I poured all of my experience into actionable lessons and applicable skill set. And like as I'm going through those lessons, like something deep in me just wants to speak about the life of an ad agency or the expectation, we have a serious diversity, equity, inclusion problem. And um, those are like lessons I'm including later on in some of the modules, because I want the person to know that even though you might be in a space where you're the only person and you, you can't be authentically yourself, you can remain authentically yourself. Just because somebody told you not to doesn't mean that you have to. And so... For those listening where they're like, dang, Ellen, I definitely have been in this position. I don't have the confidence to speak up. I'm not as, you know, I haven't been in leadership position, but I want to be like, I want to be like Kathleen, literally. So what are like, what are steps that they can start doing right now? Like, do you have a routine that helps you remain who you are? Do you, you know, what, what are the things you do that helps you? Like, when I do this, I feel like I'm taking care of me and the little person in me and I'm, I'm great. And then I can go live my best life. Ooh, well, I think there's a couple things. Yeah. Um, one is, you know, from a self-care standpoint, even though I do not like waking up early, I do try to wake up really early every day and get some exercise in and spend at least 10 minutes meditating. Like I just find that it keeps me centered and it keeps me focused on the most important things. Cause my, you know, your day gets busy really fast and it can get, you can, you can lose track of the the critical things you need to be working on. Um, so that's one. But I would, I think the other thing, and this is a little bit bigger picture, is around being very deliberate in the choices you make about your career. And this is harder when you're younger and you're first getting started. This is harder um, because it can seem scary. Like if you're working someplace where you don't feel supported, um, I think the biggest change that I've made in my career is when I feel that way, if I don't feel like the situation's going to correct itself, I will leave that job. And that is scary. And I am definitely later in my career and in a different position than I was before. But but look, we're living at a time when, at least right now, as we're recording this, the job market is amazing. And there's so much opportunity. And I just think that too many people stay in jobs where they're unhappy much longer than they should. And I feel like as women, we're already, we're already told in so many different ways to try to be less than what we really are, whether it's being less outspoken or less bossy or like down to little tiny things like people saying, don't use so many exclamation points in your emails. Oh my God. Where did I just see this? I saw this request. I think it was Haro. So help a reporter out. Uh, I received those email and they literally are looking for people to talk about why women use so many exclamation, exclamation points and emails. And I, I glanced through it and I was like, this is a ridiculous thing to write about. Like, why, yes. why should you even care? Like, why? Right. 
Right, right. And and so I think like we're t- there's so many very insidious ways that we're kind of yeah. told that we shouldn't be who we really are. Mm-hmm. And for every person, the line that you draw about wh- what you're going to accept in that regard is going to be different. Yeah. Um, but, but I think we need yeah. to be honest with ourselves. And when we get to that line and when we get to a point of discomfort and, and toxicity, we need to be honest and, and remove ourselves from that situation. Like you are your, in charge of your own career and yeah. taking yourself out of a situation that's unhealthy is, is the one thing that you have in your power to do. Mm, that's so good. That is so good. And you know, that just, what you just said made me think about a previous comment you made about finding your support group, finding a village that supports you and uh, reminds you of who you are and, and supports and encourage who you really are. Um, so I know you said you were married. And so what does work-life balance represent for you? And the reason why I'm asking is because I'm a new mom. My, my kid is about to turn two, two, she's going on 13, at least at this point. Um, I have an amazing husband who dropped everything to help support me, but also like help support my dreams, like to be here more present. And so work-life balance is weird right now because like I'm, I'm one of the, I'm actually an early morning person. So I don't mind waking up really early, waking up early, you know, getting some work done, taking care of myself, taking care of her. And then he picks up and then she's in bed and I'm exhausted. And then, so what does work-life balance means for you? And even when you and your husband rent the company together, like how did you still, um, how did you still may prioritize to the things that were really making your heart happy? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, there's no doubt when my kids were little, it was really hard. And I, I still to this day say like, for most women you're doing, at least you feel like you're doing all your jobs poorly. Like when you have kids, you feel like you're doing your work job poorly, your mom job poorly, your wife job poorly. Like you just feel like you're failing on all fronts. But I think much like imposter syndrome, we all feel it. It's normal. This notion that you can be perfect at everything is just, it's so unhealthy and destructive. I felt that deeply, deeply when my kids were little. Um, I think that work-life balance, it's, uh, look, this is just me. It's not for everybody, but I actually look to do work that I truly enjoy doing. I I like working. I like my job. That's why for me, it's so important to work in a place where I feel supported and surrounded by people that are, that create a healthy environment. And so for me, work, like work life balance, isn't this like, Oh, I stop working at five because I enjoy my work. And so even when I go on vacation, like I'm checking Slack and I'm doing a little bit of work, but I like doing it. And so I don't like when people tell me like, you shouldn't be working. It's you need better balance. I'm like, no, actually, if I didn't do this work, it would stress me out. So like, look, it's important to find time to spend with your family. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's important to find time to spend with your children and with your husband. But I also believe strongly that it it was great for my kids to see me work because oh. there's a lesson there, you know, and it doesn't mean that every mom needs to work. It just means that in my case, there were, there were good things my children got out of it. They saw me as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. They saw me working hard to achieve something that was valuable to me. And, yeah. and I think they learned from it. And so was it all perfect? Absolutely not. Um, would I take it back? What is perfection anyway? Yeah. What is perfection? I, I can't even. Um, that's great. And this is going to be the last question before we move into our closing segments. But um, boundaries, how do you set boundaries at work? Um, how do you set boundaries in a way that 
because you're in a leadership position, I'm assuming that you're being pulled here, like, hey, Kathleen, we need this and that. Um, but what are the type of boundaries you had to set and how did you do it? Maybe like communication wise in terms of like, no, this is my time to focus on this or actually this is my time to address this. Like what is what are boundaries you had to set and why? Yeah, I think, um, again, a work in progress on that one for sure. Yeah. But I feel like it's all about expectation setting. And so um, I have this document I call the guide to Kathleen, um, <laughs> which is literally like a 10 page document about me. It's like, he, here's my communication style. Here's how I oh. prefer. Like, here's what I like to use Slack for versus email. Yeah. Um here's how I organize my calendar. And I give that to anybody who works for me, like when they first start working for me so that it's, I, I try to put everything in there, yeah. pet peeves, all of it to give them a fighting chance. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I even gave it to the person who's the CEO of the company I work for now, who's my boss. I was yeah. like, I didn't really create this for a boss, but you might find it interesting because this is what makes me tick. And so that that's one way I feel like I'm, I set expectations is I try to be radically transparent in how I communicate. And, um, and then, and then this is something that I've worked on a lot over the years, like also asking other people how they like to communicate. Cause I think that boundaries are two ways. And so if I feel like building a productive relationship, whether it's a marriage, a friendship or a work relationship, it's all about really good communication and so having those conversations up front and sharing what you think is important, but also asking the other people or person what they think is important, what their boundaries are, yeah. and like meeting in the middle and, and setting those things out before you even really start to get too far down the path of having a relationship, that sets you up for success. That is so dope because like when I do trainings and workshops, so again, I mentioned I have a consulting agency, but like agencies or brands hire me to help them with programmatic media solutions, right? Um, my The clients that have been working with lately has been, it's an agency, they're on the staff. So I'm coming with my buyers and while I'm, I have X buyers handling their clients' needs in the moment, like in the next two, three months, I am also uh, training on a one-on-one basis the next, the next staff that's going to come in and take over after we leave, right? Because it's temporary uh, solutions. <laughs> and so the number one thing I offer to those clients are disk assessment because of what you just said, like in the disk assessment, and I know we just talked about it earlier in this uh, in the episode, but the disk assessment gives you not only an understanding of how you communicate, but how you receive that information, how you're able to uh, tell that information and the different style receive and communicate differently. And so one of the very first session we go through is like a higher facilitator. I'm not a facilitator, but a higher facilitator. They come in and say, here, if you're high D, expect this from the person. And at the same time, this is how you want to communicate with them and vice versa, because it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have or how much you want to learn new skills. If you're not even able to retain this information and communicate it back I don't know. I feel like it's almost like a storage at this point. You're just storing it, not doing anything on it and, and not executing on it. So yeah, I love what you said. Like you have to, that's a great way to set boundaries. Like, Hey, here's my disc assessment. Um, but here's how I retain the information in order for me to go be my best. This is how I receive the information. This is how you can expect to be communicated. Um, but I also love what you said. It's like a work in product in progress. It's not really a destination. It's the journey of it. And so I appreciate you sharing some of this because 
I know somebody's listening and saying like, oh, dang, I literally am going through this. And if you're interested in disc assessment, I'm happy to put some information in the description. Um, but I, but there are also like free, like you said, personality tests that can help you understand like how to best communicate, how does this, who you are, what really motivates you. But ultimately you can, you control, you control it, right? Like it's, it's deep down some, like some tests can may tell you something and then you can still take action on it. So, um, so let's move into the closing segments where I like to ask fun facts questions. Um, what are like, maybe what's one fun fact you can share with us? That's not work related. Okay. Well, um, I have eight chickens and two dogs and I don't, and I don't live on a farm. I live in like downtown Annapolis, Maryland, but I have a big enough yard that we can have. Oh, okay. Okay, good. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's super cool. I was telling my husband a couple months ago, like, I really want chickens for the eggs. Like, I'm, I'm tired of running. They're great. Honestly, once you have fresh chicken eggs, it's very hard to go back to store-bought. And and I always like to say chickens are the only revenue positive pet out there. Because so. <laughs> it gives you... I mean, dogs are too sometimes, right? With the hugs and the cuddles, no? Uh, yeah, arguable. <laughs> I mean, I have love my dogs. I have two yeah, dogs. Yeah, me too. So I have a dog. But, but I sink a lot of money into those dogs. <laughs> Not so much with the chickens. They're very, they're much, much better ROI with chickens when financial ROI. Yeah. Financial. Oh, so you mean the kids that don't count into this? You don't think they can put us in positive eventually? Oh God. Uh, it's okay. I love her to death. She's like, <laughs> eyes, like really crazy love. Um, okay, cool. Do you have like a mentor or somebody you look up to? And it doesn't have to be personal. It can be like a celebrity and, you know, anyone that you're like, yo, she is badass or he is badass. And this is why I like this person. Yes, actually. So I, um, well, I'm going to name two. Um, one is I actually, my current boss, I came to work here because he's an extremely accomplished entrepreneur and I'm I'm so excited to learn from him. And then my celebrity one is actually Sarah Blakely. Who's the founder of Spanx. Spanx. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She is like, I follow her on Instagram and she's so inspirational. She's very real. She's very authentic. And I just think, um, it's incredible what she's built and how much she has given back also. Yeah, I love that. I love the impact she's bringing. I I don't follow her on Instagram, actually. I follow an account that highlights other female entrepreneurs and female business owners. And um, I want to make sure you can hear. And um, once in a while, they put like little snippets of videos of her. And I'm like, wow, she's she's dope. Um, Okay, great. And lastly, I know you kind of planted some seed throughout the episode, but... um, we're going to play a what if game, right? It's um, it's something I like to, I started playing with the guests this year. I want to hear about like your wildest, your biggest dreams that like, oh my gosh, if this happened, it would be like, I don't know, I'll be able to fly or something. Like <laughs> the, the craziest dream, but it has to be big. And it's like the sky isn't even like a ceiling. Like it has to be huge. So let's play the what if game. Um, and I'll start. Uh, I like to use this one, but maybe I should... Maybe I should like switch it up. Okay, let's talk about the course because it's been on my mind. It's my focus right now. So what if I am able to help a thousand new, a thousand people to land jobs in the programmatic advertising world in the next, let's put a, a date on it, in the next two to three months? 
That is like so crazy. <laughs> One of my biggest things for doing this course is because I really wanted to give people like me the opportunity to learn independently, you know, because it's really hard to learn in programmatic. You have to know who's who and what is what and some of them, you know. Um, so what if, what if that actually happens? Or what if I'm able to retire my mom and then like by the time she turns, let's say by her birthday, which is this year on June 25th. So, so now it's your turn. Give us some what if really big statement. Ooh, those are good ones. Um, I would say my what if would be, and I already talked about how much I love my work. And so yeah. it's not going to be a surprise that it's tied yeah. into that. Um, I, I deliberately came into this company when it was still very early stage, a series A. Um, so my big what if is what if this company really does um, achieve its mission, which wow. is to empower e-commerce sellers with the tools they need to thrive and scale their own businesses. Um, you know, and, and that for me, by the way, that's my whole passion is helping other business owners achieve their goals. And so if we're successful in doing that, then Tradeswell will be a massive, um, company, the size of, you know, a Google or a Microsoft, it would be huge. And what would that mean for my life? You know, and, and what would it mean for my children to see me have that level of success? That would be pretty incredible. Well, I'm, you're already so successful and that will just be like one step extra. And we're going to speak into, you know, speak into the, into the universe. Like this is going to happen. And then in less than a year, you'll be, you know, DMing me on LinkedIn saying, Hey, by the way, you, I wanted my wedding. You know? <laughs> I love that. But oh, oh, last question. Cause I always ask this question. Um, if you had to give yourself one advice to your junior self or to your freshman self, let's say when you first started, you wish you knew this, what would that be? Oh, when I first started the thing that I wish I knew, mm-hmm. I, I think the big thing, honestly, would be listen more and talk less. <laughs> honestly, like I'm a D, so I do talk right. a lot, but like, I think there's so much I, it would have really served me if I had built that skill earlier in my life to just not feel the need to be participating in the conversation as much and to sit back and really listen. Mm, That's good. That's good. Thank you so much for dropping by. We're so honored that you are here. If anybody needs to get in contact with you, how can they do so? They do so. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best way is to go to my personal website, which is kathleen-booth.com. Got it. Okay. And then I'll have that in the description. And everyone for dropping by on YouTube or on everywhere you can stream podcasts. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You're in control of your day. And I know you're going to be amazing. So thank you for stopping by. Thanks for having me. And...